Strachan and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. Cooper puts it in with tremendous damage. Well, suddenly it's become a rout. Of course, when things are going wrong against you, you don't get the breaks of the ball. Cooper in with Stewart. He didn't really know where the ball was, but he got the break. And as you say, it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time, knowing that really all you've got to do is crack it into the back of the net. Hello, welcome to what is fast becoming less a football podcast and more a weekly therapy session for disillusioned football fans. Joining us on the couch tonight, we're delighted to welcome back Michael Grant. Evening, Michael. Hi, guys. What's been your dominant uh, emotion at the start of this season? They're still listening now, Michael. I think that you know they're, they're stuck now. Anyway, 150 odd episodes in. Then our very own Freudian slip. It's uh, Martin Clunas. Plenty of primal scream therapy this week, I guess, Martin. Nobody knows how to pull the rug from underneath you like Aberdeen Football Club, do they? It's always the way, isn't it? Uh, well, let's undergo some deeply unpleasant regression therapy as we head back to Thursday night in the second leg against Rayeka. I promise I will stop that tortured metaphor right now. So, the word from inside Pataudry before the match, Michael, was that we would uh, be going at them from the off to try and get the crowd involved. Now, we'd actually spoken about this last week on the podcast, and 90 minutes is a long time. Even if we'd got to like, the 60th minute mark and it was still 0-0, we were still in the game. Do you think it's pretty nice naive to, to to go quite as gung-ho as we did as was shown by how exposed we were for, well, both goals really but the first one in particular, we basically have one man back from uh, our corner Well, I mean, it's, it's about getting the balance right, isn't it? I mean, I don't see any problem with ag- aggressively attacking from the start and, and keeping the, the fans, you know, on their on their feet, on their, um, on their toes and fully engaged with it all but as you say, you know it's pointless if... Um, if you're going to be so naive and, and uh, kind of you know, positionally undisciplined, I guess is, is a way of putting it, um, opened up so easily on the counter-attack at the first goal. I, I'll be honest, I, I know it's not going to fit in with the, with the narrative, but I, mean, I, I thought Rayeka were quite a good side, I must admit, you know, far, far more so in the second half than from what I saw on television. They, they capitalised on Aberdeen's pretty, pretty awful defending uh, very tidily indeed. Um, but obviously, you know, you put that to one side and say that um, Aberdeen is defending and game management, that kind of famous um, phrase that we've heard so often through the Derek McInnes era, it was really poor. I mean, it was, I, I don't know about you guys, I, I, I didn't actually feel angry leaving Petrodi last Thursday. I, I, I felt kind of numb to it. It was such a 
It was such a horrifically inept attempt to recover a tie that, um, you know, you, you, I, I couldn't really let it sink in, to be honest with you. It, just, it was almost comically bad. Yeah, and I think those that had made the decision to stay, which, you know, were certainly plenty leaving after it went uh, 2-0, some were left after Ojo's red card, those that made a decision to stay probably knew what they were letting themselves in for in that second half, in fairness. I mean, let's talk a little bit more about that goal if we can, Martin. I thought what really struck me was that Ojo hadn't done a brilliant job in, in covering the break initially, but we had at least got then some men back, albeit we'd got... Um, our left back and our right back on the same side of the pitch as well as Ojo. And then neither of them, they were all back in a vague sort of position, but neither of them then uh, went to press the ball or put any sort of pressure on the ball that then came in for the goal. Like you said, they kind of got into some sort of semblance of a, of a, of a position, but nobody seemed to know who was who was looking after who. I think it's it's unforgivable, really, that you know, the guy who breaks through the, the, the middle of the defence just to, to tap that in in front of Lewis is one of their centre-halves. Um, no, nobody's nobody's watching him. Yeah, it was it, it was very poor all round, um, and that was deflating enough. But then, within well, before the first goal, I think it was before the first goal, at least uh, Funzu Ojo picked up yet another book, and we did warn a few weeks ago that he looked likely to uh, collect a, a number of cards this season. It might have been a little bit soft. But again, surely part of what you learn from having played these European ties, Michael, or at least you would hope you learn, is that you have to understand very quickly what any individual referee is about and you know what their limits are going to be and how, how soft or harsh they're going to be. I, I don't know, um, has, has, he, has Ojo played much um, European football? Um, well, I mean, obviously he came from Dutch football and has now played yeah. in England and Scotland, so, he, you know... Yeah, yeah sure, yeah. Ojo plays one of these positions that I think in every team it, it's very easy to kind of uh, you know praise and par over these kind of players because it's very easy for them to look good you know especially in a team that is longer than most of its opponents you know you, it's a, it's a quite a it, it can be quite an easy position you know you you're quite often getting the ball without any without any pressure on you you're able to kind of pick your passes and so on so it's quite easy to impress quite quickly and I had been quite impressed with Ojo in the two previous European games that I've gone up to and um, you know nobody's writing him off on the back of uh, Thursday night but it was certainly an eye-opener that um, you know, his, his passing was poor uh, his tackling was poor and as you say he didn't have the, the discipline to um, to just check himself um, going into the second one now, you know, even if the first one was harsh then you know, okay it's harsh but you've, you've been booked so you then have to Modifying your tackling, and uh, listen, I get it. He's, he's probably desperately trying to impress a new club and a new, um, you know, a new support, and it hasn't quite happened yet. But listen, I think he's going to be a confident player for Aberdeen and will be a valuable player. But um, it, it, it just a, it was a, you know, another act of that first half that was um, that, that was really really poor. And um, as you say. You know, at, at one nil down, if you know you, you, you retain the fantasy that a surge of goals comes and, and, and you know the, the, the game hasn't quite died on its backside, but as soon as you go down to ten, then you think, okay, right, well, that really is it. Um, and as you say, the guys certain
bring back the, the phrase you mentioned there that no one's writing him off uh, after a couple of games. You don't, you're not on social media much, are you, Michael, these days, obviously? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, there was some. No, you know, listen, you know, people get crucified on social media and their heroes again two weeks later, but um, I, I take your point. But I know there's a lot of. Um, it's a fairly toxic environment at the moment, I get that. I picked up the, the red final, as everyone should do before the game, Martin, um, and they put in there a comparison to Graham Shinney's yellow card record. The thing is, though, so, uh, what uh, Thursday night exposed was that for all the yellows that Graham Shinney might have picked up, he never once during his time at Aberdeen picked up two yellows to get sent off. He knew the boundaries, whereas Ojo seemed completely oblivious to them. We have yucked it up plenty of times on this podcast, laughing about yellow cards and you know, Graham Shinney and all this kind of stuff, um, and everybody else has as well. I don't, would you call it football in maturity, where you realise rather than doing something silly, you have to think, right, I'll just, I, I know, I'm not going to throw myself into this challenge. You surely be, be aware. No, okay, I've never played professional football, so maybe you don't, but you will surely be aware of the fact that if you get yourself, if you get yourself sent off, it's pretty much it's game over. No, it's done. You know, you're not coming. You're not coming back from one nil down, uh, well three nil on Agres uh, and a, and a man down as well. It's just not going to happen. And to to go back to your original point, you no, know, we've we made light of you know Shinny's you know, tackling ability for for lack of a better phrase, I suppose. You know that he was you know you've always picking up a book in. You know it was Graham Shinny yellow card stuff, but he was in, he, he was intelligent enough to know when when he had to stop and when not to make a silly challenge. I'm not saying that you know, we should be just screaming the screaming the house down to try and get someone that shouldn't hit back or anything like that at all. But there was a guy who knew how knew how to play the game, knew what was needed from him. And Ojo, again, just perhaps as as Michael mentioned, a little bit too keen to impress. From what I've seen so far, Shinny at least also won the ball on occasion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Generally speaking, I, I thought it was a real lack of leadership, kind of all over the park, really, uh, Michael and. Maybe that's exacerbated, obviously, because of the match circumstances and how it all played out. I'm not really one to, to make a big deal about the captaincy. I think it's a completely overrated aspect in, in football, different in a game like cricket, for example. But that said, in the aftermath of Ojo's red, Joe Lewis rushed out of his goal and received a yellow card for protesting. And it felt to me, it looked to me, he only kind of did it because he felt like he had to do something. Because Graham Shinney last year, the last couple of years, has been was very, very good at just always being in the ref's ear and always trying to influence him on that regard. And you can't do that as a goalkeeper, can you? No, I mean, you, quite literally, you are geographically um, or physically removed from the action to some degree. I mean, Shinney, I think, will be looked back on if he's not already as a... That's a pretty exceptional um, captain for Aberdeen at times. I mean, there was one game at Ibrox last season, one, one of the many wins over Rangers and Glasgow last season. I, I forget which one. But um, Shearing was, was excellent and, uh, as a captain. He was constantly on the referee. And and I really do not say this lightly, but I mean, it was reminiscent of Willie Miller, you know, in, 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 in that sort of strength of character. And you could tell that he was, he was kind of getting under the skin of the Rangers' support. And, and you know, that's a, that's a, a testament to, to leadership. Um, Joe's not uh, obviously he's not going to be in the heart of the action in terms of the play he's also I don't think the same type of character as Graham Shinney who's quite you know was quite visibly a kind of a kind of warrior in, in terms of um, how he went about things and um, yeah it's, it's probably pretty unusual for captains to be goalkeepers um, uh, maybe I don't know if it was a if it was a, a sweetener that um 
was offered to, to Joe to get him to sign a new contract today, I'm not sure. Uh, but, you know, to go back to your original uh, comment, Richard, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not remotely fussed, or I'm not, I'm not particularly fussed about um, whether it's a goalkeeper or not. I mean, if you've got enough kind of leaders and strong characters across the, across the team, you, you should be all right. Um, if we don't, then that's a bigger issue. Yeah, and that, that's where I was going to come to, Martin, because I look around that team and I see some some good lads, some quiet lads, maybe not the sort of up and at them lads. And again, captaincy isn't always about that. Look at Russell Anderson, he was a great captain for Aberdeen. But I, I think within the team you need a, something of that drive, something of that get up and go, and I'm not sure I see that in too many areas of the pitch. I think Lewis is Lewis is captain and he's going to be a different type of captain because you know, he is he I would I would assume I think it's fair to say he has the respect of every every single person in that dressing room. Um so he's he's that sort of captain. Not that I'm suggesting that he'd be anything like captain material, but you no know, some of the new guys that have came in, Ash Taylor would be would be classed as a senior player. Um Devlin obviously has been injured. Um, who is a senior player who would possibly be someone who's you no know, we've you no know, in the times he's played he seemed to be quite vocal and quite moany. Um, getting in people's ear. Logan is another one who really should be, you know, is was one of those who's quite vocal and, you know, probably you probably wouldn't put the armband on him. Is is you know good good at g'ing people up. He's been the games at the home games this season where you know, he's been he's been very quiet. He hasn't really been getting on at people. Hasn't been shouting. You know, obviously Bryson. You know, we we did say that we thought he was coming in. He would be coming in to be captain. That obviously isn't going to happen. But you would be looking at him to be someone who is in the middle of the pitch. You know, moving moving people along, you know, kind of dictating dictating how the play goes, talking to people, you know, just t- taking kind of taking the younger lads, you know, by the scruff of the neck and kind of you know, showing them where to go. You know, so there is there is guys there. The problem is that you know some of them have been injured, or some of them have been like woefully out of form. So the problem is we've got a team full a team at the moment. Um, of guys who seem to be relatively quiet and you know, don't really talk, not really say much. I mean, even Cosgrove barely would barely raises his voice when he's on the pitch. So, you know, you would also need your captain Martin to be a guaranteed starter. You yeah, know, and, yeah. and whenever when everybody's fit and on form, but there really aren't that many of those. I mean, Lewis certainly, McKenna certainly, uh, Cosgrove certainly, Ferguson. As you, I, I I totally agree with you. I think it's early for Ferguson to be. To be uh, promoted to captaincy, I think he's a certainly has the look of a future captain if we if we can keep on to him, keep a hold of him for two three years. Um, but everybody else, you would say, well, their position is potentially under threat. You know, Considine might slip out of the team if Devlin is, is fit again. Um, Logan hasn't started the season particularly well, in my opinion. You know, McGinn, Hedges, Gallagher, all these kind of characters. Ojo, um, not sure if it's going to be him or Bryson or. You know, we're going to keep the other out of the, tight, out of the side alongside Ferguson. So, you know, that partially explains why it's Lewis, because you think, well, he's definitely going to be a guy that starts every week. Anyway, I, I, I know we've had a ten-minute discussion on it, but I am I, I am loath to put too much influence on the position of captain. But yeah, leaders is maybe a different question, and, and I do wonder if we we had enough out on the pitch on Thursday or will throughout the rest of the season. Bryson's obviously one who 
who has to come back uh, and play more of a more of a part. He played on Sunday. Well, he, he was in the team on Sunday, and we'll come to that later on. Uh, yeah, we still have that delight to come as well. Michael, I, I did have a says underdogs when, uh, underdogs when the draw was made. I think there was a lot of nonsense written about this tie, uh, a lot of it wrongly influenced by the game four years ago. Um, and obviously after the first leg, we did have a pretty minimal chance on Thursday at any rate. A lot of the damage had been done over in Croatia. So it, it's no shame to go out to them, but the manner of defeat was obviously pretty appalling. Most of us would recognise that reaching the group stages is very tough. But the thing is, the management keeps stating it's their aim to get there. It's their goal to get there. It's where they believe they can get to. So where's the accountability for him not having hit his targets again? Yeah, and I mean, if you look at the way the, the signings were all, there was a kind of different sense of signings being made earlier than than before to, to, to get the side ready for being in, um, into these qualifiers. Uh, I mean, I, I find the Rijeka tie enormously frustrating because, you know, an hour into the first leg away from home, it's nil-nil. You know, and at that point you're thinking they're, re- they're really building uh, the you know the foundations of a, of, of a really competitive tie here. Steele Logan concedes the the penalty, the second goal right at the death. You think, oh well, that's a game changer. And then of course the just the kind of incompetence of Thursday. Um, accountability. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, after the five 0 against the Georgian side, after the three two against Hearts. I think there was such a few good factors. Some of the three or four of the, of the new signings had immediately bedded in, and you thought uh, this is genuinely quite exciting. I thought they were a visibly different style of play. They were moving the ball far quicker and far more, um, you know, uh, fluid and entertaining. Uh, and I thought, you know, I wonder where, where are we going to go this season? But I don't know, um, Richard. I mean, it's. Um, it, it has been such a deflating, uh, what we're talking about, well, it was three defeats in a row and then before we get to Dens Park. I, I, I know that the, the feeling around the club is that they have spent a lot of money uh, uh, to bolster the squad. It's, it's a pretty sizable squad by Aberdeen standards. Um, you know, we've got out of Europe pretty tamely. It, it, it is early days yet to see where we are. Um, the Hearts Cup tie in the Betfred is going to be revealing. The first couple of games against the old firm are going to be revealing. We've got a fairly benign set of fixtures coming up in the league. Do they take six or nine points from those? You know, I, I think we just reserve judgment a little bit uh, and see if what happened to Dundee yesterday and finally coming through that Maybe getting a bit of a rest this week with um, two three days off, and then training will be the first midweek in six that they, or in seven, in fact, that they won't have had a a European tie. Let's see if that shows and is reflected in the performance at Kilmarnock. But it, it, it's worrying. The away form I think has been particularly bad so far this season, and it's just been patchy. I mean, I, I think I don't think you can dress it up any better than that and say it's been patchy and. Um, I know we'll come to the Dens Park performance, but it, it was quite alarming, although the result in the end was, um, was, was fine. So let's just talk a bit more about your insight into to, to the feeling around the club because I, I feel that, again, we've gone through a summer where we've had to bring in a lot of new players, a lot of change to the team. And um, obviously that is going to have an impact, but it seems there's been a real 
plan, a real desire, not just to, to do our business early, as you said, but also to ensure that we don't really have any um, senior first team players at a contract next summer. It seems that yeah. this has been a squad put together for, for two years, basically. Presumably the hope is over the next couple of years, maybe while other teams are preoccupied with their own little bun fights, that there was a, an opportunity to do something. Would that perhaps be the, the message that's coming out from Pataudry, or...? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I think the kind of the, the kind of staggering of the contacts is uh, has been something that they've been working on for two, three seasons now, and um, you know, it, it it doesn't always work because you know some players do sit out their entire contract and leave. We've seen that with two or three of the the, the bigger names, um, but it, it has been a kind of annual occurrence that the team is losing somebody big, and. This doesn't prevent that happening, of course, because McKenna could go in January, or he, or actually could go, he could go in the next couple of weeks, or he could go in January or next summer. But at least you're protected financially, and you're getting you're getting money in for them. Ferguson could attract a, a, a serious bid if he has a if he has a second season to match his first one. Uh, and if Cosgrove keeps scoring, there's going to be interest in him. There's, there's no question about it. Um, but yeah, you know that strategy is. Um, that deserves credit uh, that they've been able to sign up some of these guys on long contracts and stagger them because um, that's a bit of strategic thinking which which Aberdeen weren't always um, uh, delivering in, in recent seasons. And I, I mean, if you look at the signings, uh, you know, I think a few of them you would say, yep, yeah, that uh, that looks pretty promising. Ojo was obviously wanted by Hibbs. Bryce, I think, was one that people uh, welcomed. Um, Lee has looked all right so far. We don't, haven't seen much of Viner. Um, Curtis Main, you know, uh, not sure if people really saw the, the logic of that. Hedges has been good. Carriker, I think, has shown plenty of promise. Wilson, I guess everybody will have their own views about Wilson coming back. Uh, I, I still hold out hope for him. Um, uh, you know, yet to really see it though. But, I mean, there's it's a fairly decent-sized squad, and there is talent in there, but we're going to need to see it emerging over the next few weeks. But I think the the main thing to conclusion to draw from Thursday and, indeed, the leg before was that, essentially, those are the levels that, that we need to, to, to aspire to, to have any chance of reaching the groups, because, you know, Reich has swatted us aside, basically, barely breaking sweat, took them a while to make the breakthrough in the home game, and then you go, and this was a favourable draw, remember? I, I, as much as I think we were outsiders, it was still a favourable draw compared to some of the other draws. And then in the next round, Raika might well get thumped by Ghent, who again were a fairly favourable draw. These are levels we have to get to to have a chance. They are, yeah. I mean, you, I, I, can't agree, I can't agree more, though, that it was a, it was a favourable draw. And you know, almost everybody I've spoken to about this have said how no this was this was a really good a really good chance. But what do you reckon the chances of getting past Rayaka were? I would say one and three at best, right? What about you? Yeah, look at you're looking you're looking at best. Yeah, you mean you would put it and then and then Ghent. Ghent. Let's say let's be very very generous and say one and three against Ghent as well. So it's probably closer to one and four, one and five. You add those together, you're still looking at one in nine, one in ten chance of actually making the group stages, and that's with a favourable draw. Well, yeah, but that's that's unfortunately just you no. Know, 
what Aberdeen have to have to deal with. You mentioned earlier when you asked Michael the question, you know, the management have said this, their, their aim is group stages. That's where we want to get to. So we'll have to get through four four um, qualifying rounds, whatever you want to call it, to get to those group stages. You're, you're looking for a favourable draw at some point. Um, we did get a favourable draw. No, again, quite rightly, Rijeka were, I think we, we underplayed Rijeka. No, they were a, a better football inside than we were, they were going to give them any credit for. Um, I think, like you say, you know, well, we, we, you know, we scudded them 3-0 last time over there. A few people expected to go over there and see a repeat of that, and that wasn't that wasn't going to happen. You know that was uh, that's not arguably you know one of the best European away performances we've ever had. We've ever had you know a result results anyway. Even though we got what was a favourable draw in Rijeka, they were still a very capable team, um, and that's that's the problem. Is that you have to you have to be able to lift your game in the way that you know you lift your game in dare I say a cup final or when you you lift your game when you're playing against a bigger team we shouldn't be surprised that you no know, a Croatian team is capable of knocking the ball around playing football playing triangles playing through balls at, uh, counter-attacking with pace we were woefully exposed for that 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 especially that first 45 minutes last Thursday um, and they, we were we were just we were actually they, they, we were found out and the second half, you know, was just the second half was 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 a complete damage limitation. It was actually quite insulting at times how we didn't really seem, seem to pressure them. You know, we need to be better. We need to up our game. I'm not saying that we have to go and spend money on you know silly money on getting better players. Something. I mean, I I, I am not a football manager, so I don't have the answer to what the, what the, what that is to get there. But we have to. You need luck. You need, you know, you need that bit of luck. You need that favourable draw when you get a team. Rijeka was a favourable draw. Ghent or Larnaca was a favourable draw as well, which gave us a really good chance. And to not even, you no, know, to not even show up in what you you'd say we probably didn't show up for, you know, three quarters of the three quarters of the game for over both over both legs um, against Rijeka, and that's that's what's not just disappointing. It's it's, it's unacceptable as well. Because you no, know, we've we've we've, we've let, let ourselves down. We know we had a great chance of getting through, and instead we've been we've been humiliated. But we didn't have a great chance of getting through. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that even though it was I as favourable like, like, draw as you can get, yeah, I think we had a better chance of getting through than we did, for example, against um, against say Sociedad or Kaira Almaty or Burnley. That's what I mean. So I don't think Rijeka are, are better than any of those teams. We had a, a better chance than we've had in previous years. Um, you look at other years as well, where you know, Maribor and uh, Apollon, where we probably should have got further as well, but we didn't. And I think that's the that's the what the the years that we will look at look at when we're comparing this one to and saying they were winnable ties. You know, there was still it still required a hell of a lot uh, to go our way, um, and we would have probably still been underdogs anyway, but. We we did have a good a, a better chance than we've had in some of the previous years, and we've blown it. But we, the thing was the thing with the Ekatai is that we let them play, we let them show that you know that they're a decent side, and we didn't ask any questions. I mean, no. quite passive in the away leg and give them a goal, and then okay, the second goal is 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 uh, is a bit of a signal at the end, and then completely um, you know hand the second leg to them as well. So at no point was any pressure really applied to Rijeka and, and maybe they would have wobbled and maybe they would have made mistakes under pressure if we'd gotten a away goal or if we'd got the first goal with, and, and kept 11 men on the pitch on Thursday night. 
But none of that happened. There was no stress or strain applied to Rijeka at all. So, you know, the, the, Aberdeen were the team that couldn't come anywhere close to its potential because they were on the back foot from, from the moment of Shea's conceding a penalty in the first leg. Yeah, and I think that's what makes it all the more painful that this is probably the first time throughout this run of European ties where we've been... It hasn't even been a fight, hasn't even been a battle, hasn't even been closely fought. Even against Sociedad, even though we were out as soon as they got their away goal, realistically, we still showed a bit of fight, we still showed a bit of effort. We, you know, we led in the tie and we gave them a little bit of a fright as the night went on. Um, but no, certainly not the case this uh, this time out. Very, very limp indeed and that is the end of the uh, the European adventure for yet another year. So we moved on to Dens Park in the League Cup on Sunday and uh, the first thing was the team lines and uh, I think probably stung by what had happened in Paisley the week before Michael, it was the same team with the exception of uh, Lewis Ferguson dropping out because he was suspended and Craig Bryson coming in. Was this the right call, or had he simply just been stung by uh, what had happened against the Mirren? Um, I think it was too big a game for him to take uh, gambles with. Now, in hindsight, having seen the performance, you think, well, maybe there should have been fresh legs in it. It was pretty pathetic, especially in the first half. Not much better in the second, really. Uh, couldn't see where an equaliser was coming from. Miraculously, one emerged. It's a combination of really poor performances from from a few of them and, and anonymous ones from a few of the others. Uh, they were being outfought. They were really struggling to do anything against Dundee. Derek McKenna said that they had played 10, uh, 70 minutes with 10 men. It's a fair point. They played six consecutive European games midweeks. You know, it, they looked jaded. They, they just looked completely bereft of confidence, I thought. Um, would it have made a difference if he'd shaken up the team a little bit? Maybe, but I don't. I think we know Derek McInnes well enough to know that he wasn't going to do that. The game would have brought enormous pressure on him had we gone out of the cup yesterday, and I think it was a case of you know, trusting the senior players, the strongest team that you could put out, pretty much, and, uh, and and trusting them to have enough to, to take care of Dundee. And by God, they, they almost didn't. Uh, yeah, and the midfield in particular, Martin, looked, uh, looked the, the area of the pitch where we were struggling the most because uh, the five in there, and yet I'm including not just Ojo and Bryson, but uh, Hedges, McGinn and Gallagher, unable to find or create any space, it seemed. Now, Derek McInnes was putting this down to the efforts of going 70 minutes with 10 men on Thursday. Uh, do you, or do you think that's a bit of a weak excuse? Because we really need the midfield to take more responsibility. Because if they don't, then inevitably what's going to happen is your centre-halves are going to go long. You give that like a 50% pass when he, when he says that, to be honest. Un- undoubtedly, you're looking for the, the midfielders to do something. No, the, 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 like you say, the five there. You're looking for them. You're looking for, especially you no know, Hedges and McGinn, you're looking for something from them. And we didn't get anything. But where that excuse falls down, where he says about playing 70 minutes with 10 men is... Was he watching the second half on Thursday? That was a training exercise. They were just sitting, looking to pick us off. There wasn't any. There wasn't any real pressure on us. 
So there wasn't, it wasn't like we were being run ragged in the second half. The second half, I, I said it earlier, it was embarrassing. It was a, it was, a, it was a, at points it was humiliation, humiliating for the this length of time we didn't have the ball. So I don't let, I'm, I'm not too keen to let that let that excuse fly. Uh, but that doesn't change the fact that the guys that were on the pitch then on Sunday, again, no no creativity. They were they were struggling to find struggling to find a man with the ball. Playing passes, playing pl- some passes into space where there was just nobody there. No, so it's the, again, it's guys not reading the run, um, not reading where the ball is going to be going. Which is, I guess, that that, that comes down to the thing we have said about them. They've not trained properly. They're maybe not mentally on the same wavelength, same wavelength or something. You still look for them to take a bit more responsibility and try and you know, create something. McGinn's been here, you know. Okay, he had a six months away. McGinn's been here for years, you know. He knows he knows Scottish football inside out. He knows he knows Dundee inside out. Bryson comes in, um, and Bryson looks like a guy who you know has been injured for a while. Um, he just looked like you know at times it looked like he was running through glue. I thought so. You're, you've got those those that midfield five was the real was a real was weak. Uh, didn't didn't get anything in terms of you know a, a foothold on the game. And, and and in fairness to Dundee, I thought they were they did really well. You know. They, they didn't steamroll over us or anything like that, but I thought they created some nice stuff. They played some decent, played some decent football. Um, obviously had a couple of had a couple of chances before the goal. I think they had the post before the goal. Um, I know they were they were looking they were looking good, and they were the team that were were no they were the ones who you know to chuck an old old really kind of cliche. They were the one who looked like the Premier League side. It wasn't us. Well, I would rather say that both teams looked like Championship sides, to be perfectly honest, <laughs> um, and. You know, halftime came and went. Very little improvement after the team talk. Very little improvement after the substitutions that were made. Um, if anything, Michael, if we're really analysing it, Dundee can maybe be criticised for trying to shut up shop. Although that's probably a natural reaction. But you know, we didn't. We weren't creating anything against them as it stood. No, no, there was, there was nothing coming at all. It was completely disjointed. Um, you know, players with their backs to goal, no ideas really where to where to go with the ball, knocking it back to the centre halves, who would eventually just hit it long to Cosgrove, who um, you know seemed to seemed to spend a lot of the time quite a long distance from goal. You know, um, it was really poor. I, I thought McLaren when he came on did did lift it up a little bit. Um, I mean, he, he wasn't beyond making some uh, basic errors too. There was one. Good ball out to him in the corner. He just let it run completely out of play. Took his eye off it or whatever. But he did make some runs, which I thought kind of lifted things a little bit. Um, Wilson did a couple of little nice, clever kind of touches, uh, quiet stuff really. But um, I'll be honest, I couldn't see where it was coming from. I couldn't see where a goal was coming from. They weren't really working their goalkeeper very much. And then when it did come, watching from the other end of the pitch, you know, you're not really clear what's happened. And there was an element of Uncertainty whether to fully celebrate, you know, that we're now, football nowadays, you're never quite sure whether a goal is going to be ruled out. Um, and I think the fans kind of celebrated and then paused and then really went for it. Um, but it was getting out of jail, it really was, because um, it had been such a poor, such a poor performance over the 90. In the atmosphere in the away end, Michael, it was, uh, it was uh, pretty rot at times, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it was it was definitely uh, it was definitely pretty toxic. Obviously, it's on the back of Thursday, and you're expecting a reaction. And if anything, it was it was uh, 
was, uh, well, it was worse, I guess, because you're up against a kind of poorer, far poorer opposition than Rijeka. Um, it was just pretty inept. I mean, you know, Joe Lewis in front of the in front of the stand was getting it as well, just because he was the closest, and uh, fans were getting frustrated with his deliveries as well. Um, so I don't think uh, you know. I, I, I'm not surprised. I didn't notice it. I'll be honest. I didn't look, notice Derek McInnes jumping around in celebration of the equaliser. But I can understand why he would have, because um, you know I don't think it would have been a defeat that would have cost him his job, but it would have certainly accelerated that issue to the top of the agenda. And a lot of fans were already against him, or were unconvinced by him uh, these days. Would have would have said that, that enough was enough. Uh, yeah, definitely two minutes uh, away from a full-blown crisis, two weeks after everyone was in fairly euphoric mood. Uh, let's give a little bit of praise out, uh, Martin, uh, to a guy that I'm still far from convinced on, but I thought John Gallagher did pretty well for the goal, because I'm sure the temptation must have been, even though it was a very tight angle, just to have a wild slash at the ball when it came off uh, Jack Hamilton. He's in that position, You're poss- he's possibly thinking, you know, we, we, we need here, like you say, it's fraught, you know, two minutes, two minutes from, from you no know, humiliation going out, um, and there was no pressure. Mind, no, I mean, it get eventually. You no, know, we get it goes in, um, and you know, thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, you no, know, it's um, we have, we have a chance to kind of rescue it. But um, it was it was good from him. Um, that was at least something that came from him again. I agree with you there. I'm not still not convinced by him. Um, I'll repeat what I said before, said a few weeks ago. I still think he's more of an athlete than a footballer. Um, I don't think he'll offer us very much going forward. Hope to be hope to be wrong with that, but um, we got something going forward out of him yesterday, which was um, which was gratefully received. And then, Michael, uh, finally, some decent interplay leading to the second. Um, you might have heard or read about Sheffield United's overlapping centre-backs, but it wasn't quite that. But not for the first time uh, during the game. We saw McKenna breaking forward, really trying to make something happen. A nice interplay between him and Greg Lee down the left. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, I, I, I must admit, I haven't seen this goal again uh, at all Um but um, it seemed to, yeah, it was a nicely assembled move down the, down the left and then the cross comes in and it just seemed to be in the air for a long time. It seemed to be one of these kind of slow motion headers back across goal uh, and, uh, you know, Cosgrove's finishing is, is on such a hot streak that I'll give him the credit that he just placed it and um, <laughs> it, it completely took out, as far as I could see, with an, with, you know, in, in real time and uh, one look at it, it just seemed to kind of completely wrong foot the keeper. And it was and it was beautifully placed in the net. And um, you know, I think incredibly from a from a fairly kind of chaotic performance, they looked pretty calm after that. They looked. I didn't think there was any real danger that Dundee were going to uh, get back in. I mean, they they did still press and they did get in a couple of times. But uh, you know, I think I think the the mood had changed. And certainly, the mood amongst the support. A change at that point, and um, you know they were able to enjoy a day at, Dun- at Dennis Park like they like they usually do. Yeah, 13 straight wins now against Dundee. Uh, very welcome opponents uh, for Aberdeen. I think any time. And uh, so, Martin, a win in the end, cup tie. Obviously, it's all about the win. And um, if we're lifting the cup at Hamden in December, no one will really remember that we were two minutes away from going out. Um, but 
had we gone out, he would have obviously come under considerable pressure from the terraces. Would there have been any pressure from the board? Uh, I don't think there. I would think there would be absolutely no pressure from the board at all. No, um, there would have, there would have absolutely definitely been pressure from the terraces. You know, there's we, we said earlier on that social media is toxic. I don't think it's just a social media thing. I think there is there is a quite a quite a vocal undercurrent of people who are really unhappy with the manager already. Um, I know and want rid of him. No, that's that's neither here nor there. Uh, but I think that had we gone out, you know, the board the board have decided he's their guy. He's the guy that you no, know, the, the, he's got the extension signed. Um, as far as as far as well, you know, from from the way I look at it, is that the board are until the, until that new stadium stadium is built, the club have got Derek McInnes's name, you know, is 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 basically is is bolted to that door, and he's going nowhere. Um, no, he's he's. I wouldn't say he's untouchable because nobody's untouchable, obviously, in football. Apart um, from uh, Craig Levine. Apart from, apart from Craig Lafitte, obviously, yeah. But I think that the, the, the Aberdeen board have got... No, Derek McInnes is their guy. He's go, he's going nowhere. Um, and then, you know, they've got the whole vision of the new the training pitch, the new stadium. They want him to be here until that's done. Um, I think he's I think he's what they see as um, slightly better than a safe pair of hands. It would be it would be unfair to say he's just a safe pair of hands. Um, I think he's you no know, he's achieved he's achieved some good things. Uh, we've we've fell short several times uh, where I think we should have done better but I think the board I think there's absolutely no chance of the board um you know losing any faith in them anytime soon. Uh, Matt, I, I 100% agree with you. I, I, I've never uh, heard any um you know any questioning of McInnes from the board uh, obviously they're, they're, you know, if there is any they're not necessarily going to tell a journalist about it, but um, I agree with that interpretation. I mean, you, you know, the only thing that changes that, is, of course, would, would be if you go into just a horrendous slump of league results and then, then you know, any board has to react eventually to a support that is completely uh, you know, demanding change. But, I mean, that, you know, for that to happen, you'd be talking about a fairly bleak slog of of horrible results that were to knock Aberdeen into the bottom six. Um, you know, I, I, going out to Dundee would not have uh, shaken the board's resolve, I'm pretty sure. Um, I think you're right. I think that we see Derek McInnes as, as the, long-term, um, the long-term answer to the manager. I mean, he's been here, whatever it is, six years now, six and a half. Um, and I don't think there's any weakening of uh, support for him from uh, Stuart Milne or Dave Cormack or anybody else um, but I think if they had gone out yesterday it would have just been I mean, not, you know, such a horrible um, run of games would be coming up, you just know that the supporters would would, uh, would be you know, on the back of the, on the backs of the players or just not turning up the crowds would go down, it would just be the whole mood would be awful now, you know, it's a fairly tough or a final coming up against Hearts. Um, I'm not saying if you lose that, it's the same again. But uh, you certainly need to go down to Tencastle and uh, be very competitive and be ready to take on Hearts toe for toe because toe to toe because you know the uh, the kind of aggression and um, physical strength. I'm, I'm, I'm using euphemisms. I know that you, Richard, will come piling in with a, a more crude description of Hearts play, but uh, but you take my point. You know, you, you can't go down there and, and be tame in that cup tie or else uh, or else the fans will just be an uproar again. 
No, we're big fans of Hearts in this podcast. I know you've got a professional reputation to uh, maintain, Michael, so we won't press you for what you really think about them. I guess on that point, again, about about the entertainment factor, about the crowds, uh, I mean, the board will have their targets. There's, there's no question about that. And, uh, you know, are, are they to be achieved by any means necessary? You know, if we've had a couple of years of fairly iffy football sometimes it's been good and I think people do forget that pretty quickly but other games it has been it's been safety first and it's been a little bit one dimensional to say the least now if you keep being going further and further away it would seem from actually reaching silverware then likely to be a significant draw on the gates if the football is as lacking as it been certainly over the past four games. That's the sort of thing that might provoke a board into action, as it did with, for example, Jimmy Calderwood. Depends what the results are like, Richard. You know, I mean, if, if the team isn't particularly nice to watch, but it's getting results, then I don't see the board doing much. Um, you know, if, if, if Aberdeen are still third, fourth um, in the table. Uh, but it, it's... Again, it's frustrating because the, the 5-0 game against the Georgian side uh, was was really good. I thought some of the Rocks home game was really good. Uh, I wasn't at the Hearts match, but certainly the goals, um, you know, pretty thrilling. And it was like, it was, uh, you know, a real... I, I did think, well, maybe Derek McInnes is, is consciously having a, a rethink about how the side plays and... Uh, the more attacking style of it, but um, you know, yesterday just looked like a retreat to uh, the, you know a team with with no confidence and just kind of you know no no real belief in itself, um, and hopefully that will come back now that uh, now that they have scraped through. It's maybe just the kind of thing which we need to go back to basics for a little while, and I certainly wouldn't be objecting to that, to string a couple of results together, to get a bit of momentum together this season. And the first opportunity to do that is going to be at Kilmarnock on Saturday. Uh, another of the clubs, I think practically 10 clubs in the league, are one game away from um, the old broken club crest on the back of the papers. Kilmarnock are definitely one of them. They scraped through against Hamilton in the Cup at the weekend. That, I believe, was... Their first domestic goal of the season. Obviously, they had a horrific European result, far worse than ours. This is a team really struggling to find its feet. Again, a ground we've historic, well, not historically, but in recent years anyway, under Derek McInnes, we've got a decent record at. They're a good opponent for Aberdeen, I think, uh, Martin, because um, I think there's a lot of similarities to what they do and, and to what we do, or certainly there were under the previous Kilmarnock manager. I don't want to say it's the perfect type to play them because you know, I'm just we're, I'm just setting us up to be absolutely scudded by them. They needed extra time to put out Hamilton on Saturday, you know, but they, they did. But they lost to Hamilton the week before as well. It's it's all this kind of rumor and innuendo uh, and you know, sort of chat about you know oh, it's it's not really Alessio that's you no know, it's it's running the team. It's you no know, the um it's the assistant that's doing the team talks and all this kind of stuff because the guy's English isn't amazing. There's all this kind of kind of stuff said so. You, you you have to take all that with a pinch of salt because you just you just don't know really. But it does seem to be you know a decent time to be coming up against a team who are who are struggling. You know, despite the fact they got you no know, they got they managed to get through to the next round of the of the League Cup anyway. But um, it's been a it's been a fairly happy hunting ground for us um, of late. Our run of fixtures isn't terrible. Um, you know you know, you look at you know Kilmarnock, St Johnston, Livingston. Okay, as a semi final against Hearts. 
Um, it's not a terrible set of fixtures coming up for us. Um, so you start it off with Kilmarnock, where if you offered me no trophies and anything like that at the end of the season, but you said the football was going to be atrocious, then you know, yeah, you would you would obviously take it. But you're looking to go down to a team that are struggling, you no, know, that you know have 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 lost a couple of a couple of their better players. It's going to be tough for us, but. This is what this is why Derek McInnes earns the earns the big bucks and why you know why is he signs contract contract extensions you know to get past teams like Kilmarnock who I think will will really really struggle this season. I, I, I was down at Kilmarnock when they played Rangers at the start of this month and um, I, I must have I was kind of expecting them to be a bit of a mess after the Connors Key result and the other results that they had at that point, um, but uh, actually the, the Watching them that day when they lost to the late Rangers goal to one, it was it was pretty hard to distinguish them from a Stevie Clark side of last season. You know they they, they worked very hard. They were well organised. They were competitive. Four five one, hard to break down. Now maybe that is what, the way they knew they had to play against uh, against Rangers, who were scoring a lot of goals. And you know that was the, the European result was still raw there. But um, I must admit, that made me realise, or made me think, okay, maybe they're not just going to be a complete shambles under uh, uh, under Alessio. I mean, if, if if they if they think that Aberdeen is a different game and not as much of a test, and they can be a bit more open, then that's probably going to be good news for Aberdeen. Um, I think if they just try and sit in and uh, defend, then it, it could be quite a difficult game for the. Uh, for Aberdeen on, on Saturday, but uh, but I, I, I take your general point. I mean, they, they have lost a couple of important players. I don't think Alessio is going to be the manager that Steve Clark was. I don't think the players buy into him or will buy into him in the way that they did with um, Clark. And maybe the Rangers' performance was was almost the players taking control and and uh, you know showing a bit of pride. But um, no, I, I, listen, I, I don't think at the moment any of us quite know what we're going to get from Aberdeen. You know, I don't think any of us quite know how the new signings are going to emerge and, and just how decent they're going to be. Um, they've shown it in, in they've shown it in flashes. They've shown real promise, and, uh, and they've also been pretty inept at times. So, you know, I think Aberdeen, if they play, will win. But it, I wouldn't rule it out being another slog, to be honest. Yeah, and uh, I guess the players that Kilmarnock have predominantly lost have been attacking players. They've kept most of the guys that were the heart of that team last year. Um, I mean, they finished above us last season not because they scored more than us, but they conceded considerably less than us. And that's definitely something we need to address. I think it's now only two clean sheets in the last 15 games or something like that. So we need to... Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day. I mean, there's only one clean sheet this season. Would that be right? Uh, just the Chikura game, yes. And just one towards the tail end of last season, which was the last time we were at Rugby Park. If they want to get three men sent off again, that would be very helpful. Thank you. <laughs> but no, I think the general point that... We are still in early days, but it has been such a bipolar start to the season, I suppose. Um, none more so than in the two weeks that elapsed since Brian Hedge's goal until the 89th minute at Dens Park on Sunday. But the Dons won through eventually. They will face Hearts in the quarterfinals of the League Cup. Europe is over for another year. But uh, we've got the hard slog of the league away to kick off against Kilmarnock on Sunday. Saturday. Saturday, definitely Saturday. My thanks to Michael Grant. Michael, great to have you on. Thank you. Thanks, Richard. Thanks, Matt. Enjoyed it again.
And to Martin Clunas. Martin, thank you. Thank you, Richard. I think I'm almost over Rieka now. I think I've poured it all out. I should be okay. By the Monday, that's not bad. That's not bad. <laughs> some some scars cut deep. Um, okay, uh, we will be back next week, uh, keeping up this unprecedented burst of activity. Um, although, admittedly, I will be at the cricket on Saturday, so I will probably be watching an even more boring sport than Kilmarnock play Aberdeen. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>